This is the Kings of the Ring, wrestling's first audio drama podcast. A fictional retelling of the 1980s wrestling wars, written and produced like a cable TV drama series. It's a gathering of all the greatest stories, tall tales, rumors, even what-ifs on the behind-the-scenes world of professional wrestling, all modified, rearranged, and reassembled in the context of one gigantic fictional pro-wrestling soap opera. Again, while the story and characters are fictional, though based on archetypes, many of the events, no matter how unbelievable or outrageous, are based on a version of something that actually happened in the wild and crazy world of pro wrestling. So please, kids, do not try any of this at home. Kings of the Ring is intended for mature audiences, and today's episode would be rated M.A. for profanity, drug and alcohol use, sexual dialogue, nudity, sexual situations, smoking, and politically incorrect dialogue. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kings of the Ring. Tonight, the Omni in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. As 1983 comes to a close, the chisel-jawed Diamond Donnie Gold, in a tan three-piece suit and sunglasses, beneath a platinum-blonde helmet of long, feathered hair, faces the camera, cradling the world heavyweight title belt like a loaf of bread. Behind him is a giant backdrop with an outline of the states of Georgia and Florida with the words Southeast Championship Wrestling right in the middle. The man who is all class, all style, and pure excellence... The angle is about revenge. He stole my hat. That's it? That's enough to sell tickets to see you two wrestle? The outlaw Jesse James, star wrestler and head booker for SCW, is talking with Jack Valiant, the owner of the TV station broadcasting this wrestling, WVBS. (laughs) That's just the start, Mr. Valiant. Now, being a thief is bad enough, but what if the people really hated this guy? You see... Diamond Donnie Gold is the heel. The heel is half the equation. The TV host opens a box on the podium to reveal a black cowboy hat. Okay, I see it. People pay to see you rescue your hat from a prick. Yes, but let's raise the stakes. Donnie stomps and destroys the hat. Boy, he's crushing that thing. Exactly. It's not only revenge for stealing my hat, but for destroying it too. Now this entire angle only works if people care about the owner of this hat. And that is the other half of the equation. The babyface. The outlaw Jesse James emerges from behind the fans. He looks like the toughest guy in the saloon. A burly everyman in jeans, cowboy boots, and a flannel shirt. I can tell the people love you. Makes all the difference, I reckon. He looks around and spots Donnie and charges after him. Donnie runs and slides into the ring. Jesse chases right after him. Donnie slides out, running for his life. And Jesse stops and sees his hat letting Donnie escape. Now we're not even done. Now watch this. He gently picks up the hat, milking it as the crowd is silent. The most valuable weapon in wrestling, the microphone. Like magic, I can make those people believe it's more than just a hat. My daddy died when I was just a little boy, and this was his hat. Ah, nice one. My mama always told me that I'll wear it one day when I become a man. My mama. She struggled to raise me and my brothers. Now words are just words unless you sell it. 
the, the words I choose, my facial expression, if I pause, the tone, the volume, I have to sell that emotion, to sell the anger. On screen, Jesse speaks to the camera, to the people, with emotionally charged words that cut like a knife. The fans are glued, all leading to the announcement of their match. Jesse James turns off the TV and sits back down on the couch in the WVBS TV studio's green room. Despite Jesse threatening Donnie's life on TV moments ago, here they sit side by side on a couch, back to being best pals. Jesse takes a big gulp from a can of Budweiser, while Donnie is leaned over the table, cutting lines of cocaine with a razor. Jack Valiant, a strong-looking man for his age in a brown suit, sits across from them, also with a beer. Bloody beautiful, mate. They didn't just steal your hat, they wrecked a, a precious symbol of your past, your family. Was that real then? Everything you talked about in that interview? If you're not sure, then I'm doing my job. Donnie snorts a line with a rolled up hundred dollar bill and offers it to Valiant. Because that is the art of wrestling. The suspension of disbelief. Whether it's on TV or, or at ringside, the people have to believe what they're seeing. And it's up to us, whether it's how we wrestle, how we talk, or what happens if you see us at a gas station, to make you believe. Because once you lose that belief, it's never the same again. Certainly worked on me. I reckon you two are considered good in your profession, eh? Donnie here is the gold standard of our sport. Two-time Pro Wrestling Digest Wrestler of the Year and the World Heavyweight Champion. I'm one of the more popular regional acts around. No, he's been way too modest. Jesse James is the best babyface in the sport, period. Jesse's also the matchmaker. It's like the head coach and director all in one. He puts together the entire show. Let's everyone know what they're doing. Well, now hush now, Donnie. I'm sure Mr. Valiant has more things to do than listen to you put me over. No worries, mate. That's all fascinating, truly. But I'm glad I came. With cable television becoming more popular, the ratings wrestling brings to my network are crucial. Despite that, I've only watched it from a distance to this point, so I appreciate you giving me a peek into your world. Jack stands and buttons his jacket. Jesse stands too. You're welcome, Mr. Valiant. I was taught by the best. Jonathan Kane, my mentor. Kane, Kane, why does that name sound familiar? Donnie Gold rubs the coke from his fingers on his teeth. Hey Jack, after all these years, where'd you finally come down now? Another wrestling show offered to replace you on the station. Wait, what? Who? who? Young bloke from New York. Really sharp, smooth talker. You really sold it, as you say. Wait, how could someone from New York try to steal Atlantis TV? It's impossible. The Alliance makes that impossible. Now, Mr. Valiant, uh, we have a contract. You no worries, mate. I'm gonna turn him down. I like your company better, Jesse. Has more heart. Too bad you won't be around to tell the next person he talks to, though. Feel sorry for them. <laughs> ah, Kane. Now I remember. Julian Kane was the bloke I spoke with. Any relation to your Jonathan? Jesse's face goes white as a ghost. Watch out for him. He's a shack. Jack winks on his way out. Jesse feels like his heart's been ripped out. Can you feel it? When you see a billboard with Michael Jackson drinking a Pepsi. When you pass a teenage girl wearing a black lace glove like Madonna. When you see people lined up around the block to see the number one movie star in America. And he's black. Do you see it? Do you feel it? 
because America is dying for it, thirsting for it. At first glance, the handsome Julian Kane in his perfectly cut suit looks more like the hottest trader on Wall Street than what he really is. He stands bathed in light, shrouded by darkness. They want new, they want the latest. Arcade games, toys, cartoons, technology, everything. They want more than three channels on their TV. They want their MTV. Move over Charles Bronson and say hello to Arnold Schwarzenegger and He-Man. 1984 is upon us and we have the power to create what everyone wants. Change. That magical time when new eras can begin, but only when the old ones die. Julian snaps out of his mode. The darkness is gone with the switch of a light, revealing Julian in a large master bedroom in front of a mirror as the door swings open. What do you want? Why are you sniffling? Standing in the doorway is an 11-year-old boy, Cameron Kane, red-faced and crying. Julian's wife, Sarah Kane, is with him. Julian, he's about to say his final goodbyes to his grandpa. You know how close they were. Uh, all right. Can we go now? Are you ready, Julian? Julian swings his cashmere overcoat over his $5,000 suit. Of course I'm ready. I've been ready for years. Kings of the Ring, Episode 1, The Eulogy. Jonathan Kane lies in his bed, eyes closed. Julian, his son and wife, along with his mother, Gloria, surround him as a nurse pulls the sheet over his head. They all cry, except Julian, who looks on his father stoically. They emerge from the room, wiping tears and noses. Thank you, nurse. You've been quite helpful. The nurse nods and goes back to the room while Sarah takes Cameron away, leaving Julian and his mother. I should call Charlie. Charlie Gotch? Yes. Even in death, we can't escape the World Wrestling Alliance. This again? Julian, we owe everything to the Alliance. Yes, I know. Put a roof over our heads. Your father devoted his life to build this Alliance for everyone. And what did he have left for us? Julian's mother gives him a stern look. Your father is dead. Show some respect. I know you're an only child, but you don't have to act like it. Charlie runs the Midwest, but he becomes president now. It is proper to call him. He'll call Atlanta, St. Louis, and the others. Have Dad's secretary do it. I'll call Charlie. I want to. Hmm. Figured you'd be the last person to want to talk to him. What's that supposed to mean? Nothing. Charlie Gotch's American Midwest Wrestling, Chicago Stadium, Chicago, Illinois. Hollywood Buddy Melrose thumbs his opponent in the eye. Nicknamed Hollywood for his Hollywood movie star looks back in the day. These days, his suntan skin is now sunspotted. His once golden mane is mostly receding and his muscular body now deflated. The 18,000-seat arena is mostly full as Buddy drags his opponent by the hair to a corner where Big Thor Hansen is. Thor looks like the mythological superhero in the flesh. Long, thick, blonde hair, six foot six and stacked with bulky muscle. Thor tags in and a surprising amount of fans cheer as he smashes his back with a thud. 
A sweaty Thor Hansen and Buddy Melrose walk through a curtain off the arena floor where Charlie Gotch, the old bald-headed owner of American Midwest Wrestling, in gray slacks and a short-sleeved dress shirt, awaits. Be careful out there, Thor. You're reacting to the fans like a babyface. You're the sidekick of Hollywood Buddy Melrose, the, the biggest villain in AMW history. Yes, Mr. Gutch. Thor, don't listen to Charlie. He gets mad when anyone doesn't do exactly as he wants, even the fans, especially the fans. But you've got all the tools to be a great babyface. Oh, come on, buddy. I'm serious, Thor. That it factor can't be taught. We're the bad guys now, but when the time is right, we'll turn you babyface, and those fans will be in the palm of your hand. One day it'll happen, but there's no reason to rush anything like that. We walk down the hallway towards the locker room. Come on, Charlie. I'm not the spring chicken I used to be. We need to start looking at someone for me to pass the torch to. Whatever you guys want to do, I'll do it, as always. We just had our biggest money year. Let's enjoy the fruits of 1983 for a while before we go turning the world upside down. Nelly Gotch, Charlie's son, still in his wrestling gear, pokes his head out from an office, holding up a phone receiver with a serious look on his face. Dad, it's Gloria Kane calling from New York. By the time Charlie gets to the phone, he already knows. As she speaks, he looks down and puts his hand on the bridge of his nose. Buddy bows his head in sorrow, puts his hand on the shoulders of a confused Thor, and leads them out. Thank you, Gloria. Son, get me my Rolodex. Empire State Wrestling Federation, Madison Square Garden, New York City, New York. The light shined down on an empty ring, surrounded by thousands of fans murmuring between matches. We have just received devastating news. Honor of the Empire State Wrestling Federation, the World Wrestling Alliance, Jonathan Kane, died this evening. In tribute to Mr. Kane, we will honor him with a ten-bell salute and a moment of silence. As the bell gongs, fans are saddened and crying throughout the arena. Behind the curtain, all of the ESWF wrestlers and officials bow their heads in sadness, many of them crying or hugging each other. Across the country, old men and wrestlers answering the phone from bed and office or reading telegrams as word spreads throughout the land. A man in his early 20s reads the front page of the Philadelphia Inquirer sports section the headline of, Owner of Empire State Wrestling Dies. Locker rooms throughout the country passing the word, guys in disbelief, crying, consoling each other, or praying. Outlaw Jesse James, grieving at a bar with Donnie Gold and a few others, trying to cheer him up, comforting him. In the Jersey City Memorial Hospital waiting room, Julian Kane looks at his reflection in a window, smooths his hair, straightens out his suit, and wipes a speck off his shoes, while young Cameron looks up from his comic book. Dad, what's a yuppie? Julian taken aback for a moment. Who, me? When Cameron points to a side table that someone carved out. Die, yuppie, scum. Julian grins and sits down. A yuppie is an insult that people without jobs, like that guy. Julian gestures to a young man in the waiting room with a red mohawk and a cut-off denim vest and studded bracelets. Call people like me with jobs. Right. Since you're a referee for Grandpa's Wrestling Company, Cameron, being a referee was not my career. It was just something Grandpa did to embarrass me. Really? Why would he do that? He thought he was teaching me a lesson in humility. Did it work? Did what work? 
Did you learn humility? No. Listen, it doesn't matter. What matters is, I'm going to do what Grandpa did. You're going to be the new president of wrestling? Not quite, son. I'm just taking over Empire State. But I thought he was president. He was president of the Alliance. Julian thinks of how to explain this and looks around. He sees a map of America, cautioning the spread of AIDS or something. He runs over and puts his hand on the poster like he's chopping the country into pieces. The country is divided into seven territories, each with its own name, its own wrestlers, their own fans, and their own local TV. Julian rattles us off like he's at a sales meeting. They service only their own territory, but they are all bound by this agreement called the World Wrestling Alliance. He wipes his hand across Texas through Alabama. Burt Ironside has all South Wrestling, with those Angel Brothers, who look like real angels, and that big strong black guy, Bad Bad Leroy Brown. He points at Georgia and Florida. Down here to Southeast, that show you found when we got Cable. The one with the fat cowboy. The outlaw Jesse James? He's my favorite. Yes, I know. And here's Tennessee. They are complete lunatics. He slides his hand east to the coast. Then you have the Carolina Wrestling Association with mouthy Irishman Killian Kavanaugh and America's hero, Corporal Punishment. He puts two fingers on Missouri and Kansas. There's Heartland Pro Wrestling out of St. Louis, built around Crusher Krawcheck. Grandpa used to say Crusher would get me if I didn't eat my vegetables. And then Charlie Gotch has all this. He wipes both hands from Indiana to California. Whoa, that's huge. Yes, you'd think he'd do more with it. Julian places his palm on New York State with his fingers splayed out. And Grandpa's territory is the Northeast. Put them all together, and you have the Alliance. Cameron starts crying at mention of his grandpa's name, while Julian gets lost staring at the map. The agreement that says everyone stays in their own yard, can never grow or become anything. He finally notices Cameron crying and looks for his wife, but no luck. Cameron, don't be sad. Grandpa lived a very long time and accomplished a lot. Even though Charlie Gotch always hogs credit, it was his idea to create this. The Alliance was his dream. Did you know that on any given night, there are at least seven shows going on somewhere in the country drawing tens of thousands of people? Imagine how much money you'd make if the Alliance was just one guy owning everything. Julian relieved to see his wife return. Mom's back, so you stay here. I have some important calls to make. Calling Grandpa's friends? No, I said important calls. Charlie Gotch stands in a sweater with a warm scotch in hand, looking out an enormous window at the frozen lake in his backyard from his den. Fireplace crackling, Nellie pacing around the room, also with the scotch. How are you doing, Dad? Really? Yes, it may tears, Nelly, but the resolve of what me and Jonathan built keeps me strong. Nelly looks at the old pictures of Charlie with Jonathan Kane and other members of the Alliance on the wall. I never get tired of looking at these old pictures. I remember back in 1952 when we first had the idea of the World Wrestling Alliance. It was like the Wild West out there, every promoter for themselves. Companies stealing TV from each other by paying off stations. Guys no-showing because they've been stolen by a rival promotion. Wrestlers being paid off to injure other guys, you name it. Just complete and utter chaos. A nightmare. Glad I never got to live through that, Dad. Can't even imagine. It wasn't pretty. But we got everyone in line and got rid of everyone who wasn't. But we built a rock-solid foundation to ensure the Alliance would be stable. So when the day comes that I die... Please, Dad, don't make me think about that. Not this week. Nellie puts his hand on his father's back. No, you need to hear this, then. 
Because one day, American Midwest Wrestling becomes yours. I know, Dad, and you've taught me well. People will hardly know you're gone. What? <laughs> I just meant AMW will carry on what you've built. Oh, alright. There's how we set up the alliance. To be seamlessly passed down, generation after generation. Burt Ironsides All South Wrestling, Freeman Coliseum, San Antonio, Texas. A massive jacked up diesel pickup truck with bullhorns mounted on the hood pulls into the parking lot. Out drops the 6 foot 5, 280 pound Burt Ironside. He wears his 10 gallon cowboy hat over his gray hair and life withered face, shit kicker cowboy boots, tobacco chew in mouth, button shirt and blazer. A large, intimidating presence, he marches towards the arena like the owner of the joint because he is. Peyton Thomas, a portly and stout Texan in jeans, clipboard and toe, waits for him outside the truck with sympathy in his eyes. But before he can even express it, what's the house? Bert walks straight towards the rear entrance of the arena. Peyton tries to keep up. What? Oh, uh, all right, uh, we're sold out, boss. Them thousand one hundred sixty-seven. Just like every other town, San Antonio is in love with the Angel Boys. Bert nods and keeps walking, looking ahead. Hey, uh, I just heard about Jonathan Kane. I'm sorry. I can think of a lot of egg-sucking dogs deserve the kind of slow death cancer gives. Johnny was not one of them. As they approach the arena doors, one of the other wrestlers in his full gear is chatting up a couple female fans near the dumpster, while some others in their gear are outside having a smoke. As they hold the door open for Burton Peyton. Anything we need to be worried about as far as the alliance goes with Jonathan gone? Not a damn thing. When Maggie Hawkins kicked the bucket back in 81, her squiggly little boy Daniel took over the Carolinas and they didn't miss a beat. I expect no different for Empire State. Kid's name's Julian, right? Does he even know the business? Doesn't matter. Sal Spinelli and Louis the Greek will run the ship while he cashes the checks. Julian always seemed to have other things on his mind. Sort of like Michael. They round the corner and spot a couple of teenage girls sneaking under a stairwell. Go on, get! Angel boys ain't coming out! The girls scurry back towards the arena, but not before turning around to flip off Peyton. Oh, couldn't need an exterminator get rid of all these rats. I've never seen him like this, Bert. Your sons are red hot. Bert and Peyton pass through security and approach the opening to the arena floor. Sitting there alone, short white Speedo-style trunks and white boots, stretching all the way to his toes, is Michael Angel. He looks like a living piece of art, the face of a model nestled in curly blonde hair on the physique of a bodybuilder. The fuck you doing? Michael scrambles to his feet like the sergeant just walked in, sitting here trying to suck your own dick, while the rest of the boys are all out trying to round up pussy to bed for the evening. You know, that's not my thing. You're my son, and the boys look up to you and your brother. You need to set an example by fucking as many of these girls as you can. Gabriel Angel walks over with an ear-to-ear smile. While not on Michael's level, he's still great-looking and ripped, with shaggy blonde hair and a laid-back demeanor. Michael cheers up immediately as Gabriel squeezes his massive shoulders from behind. Don't listen to this grumpy old man, Michael. You don't need to prove nothing to nobody. Besides, Dad, he's not into these local small-town rats. He's just waiting to wrangle that daisy from the Dukes of Hazard. Gabriel playfully punches Michael on the arm and shakes it like he broke his hand. Michael loosens up. As usual, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, boy. Dukes of Hazard? It's like the most popular show in America. Julian Kane is standing naked, glistening with sweat, in a high-end hotel bedroom suite, looking at pictures posted on a wall. It's not as simple as an invitation. 
Money is part of it, but it has to be more. A bidding war is only going to bankrupt me. This is where you come in. A woman climbs out of bed, also naked, and not his wife. She stands behind him, putting her arms around his chest and waist, her naked flesh pressed against his. It has to be more than sex. You must find their deepest desires, what they truly want for their lives. If I can offer that to them, that's how I get them. Thor Hansen injecting a needle into his muscular tan upper leg. Thor drinking a glass of raw eggs. Thor working up a sweat, throwing around massive weights. It's the same routine Thor does every day, only this time he's back in his hometown of Los Angeles at the mecca of bodybuilding, Gold's Gym in Venice Beach. Thor's outside the beachfront gym resting, surrounded by a mob of boys getting his autograph. A photographer snaps a shot and approaches Thor with a handshake. Artie, good to see you, brother. Artie smiles as the kids run off. I know for a fact Charlie Gotch isn't run LA in years. These kids don't even know who you are. They still flock to you like the fucking Pied Piper. Yeah, pretty much. Would've been nicer if they were 10 years older and female, though. You know what Charlie would say? The business is more than just making whoopee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Charlie and them are over in Jersey for the Kane funeral. I'm trying to take advantage of the time off. Gonna try to hit some waves today. I'm getting so big, I'm starting to look silly on my surfboard. Hey, look at your copy of this picture. Give me a call. Numbers on the back. You got it? He hands him a business card. Thor sees his name and number printed on the front, then turns it over and sees a completely different number handwritten on the back. Hey, Artie, what you doing all the way down here in Venice Beach anyway? Artie? Hey, where'd he go? As a light snow falls on this gray afternoon, there are hundreds lined up throughout the Jersey City and Harsimus Cemetery. Mostly older ex-wrestlers limping about with their cauliflower ears and foreheads riddled with deep crease scars. Intermixed are the younger wrestlers of today, these large men stuffed into suits. Julian Kane walks slowly, his crying mother Gloria holding his hand. Behind them, six large men carry a coffin. The procession of mourners each stopped to Julian and his mother to pay their respects. Julian's body shook hands and responded with pleasantries, but his mind was clouded, distracted. As they lower his father's coffin into the earth, Julian stands with his mother, expressionless. As Jesse James hugs Gloria Kane near the gravesite, Julian is off near a tree, glaring at them, when Diamond Donnie Gold approaches and shakes Julian's hand. Sorry about the old man, Julian. Julian watches his mother chat with Jesse from afar, touching his face with affection. I always respected your father, even though he didn't use me much the past year or so. No, he was loyal to a fault. The Empire State roster became stale as month-old bread and too content with someone like Dan Sanders as our only top guy. Donnie turns and faces Julian. Listen, I gotta ask you, why were you trying to sell Jack Valiant an Empire State show to replace Southeast and WVBS? Julian, caught off guard, doesn't even know how to respond. I mean, what kind of plans did you even have in mind? Julian's eyes light up and he smiles. 
The reception is packed with people at tables finishing their meals as Charlie Gotch speaks on the microphone in a podium setup beside a large frame photograph of Jonathan Kane. To celebrate a man whose life has touched all of ours, Jonathan Kane. Of course, he and I created the World Wrestling Alliance, a system built on honor and tradition and the understanding that we all prosper together. And no year has been more prosperous than 1983 was great part due to the World Heavyweight Champion, the only guy all territories share, Damon Danny Gold. Donnie sits beside Jesse James and drunkenly shouts his catchphrase. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Since winning the belt over a year ago, he's truly proven to be the best performer in the business and our number one ticket seller. And to that, I'm not surprised, as he is one of my best students. As I look at everyone who came out, I'm reminded how beloved Jonathan Kane truly was. I mean, good guy, best wrestlers in the world, all under one roof. It's like an all-star lineup in here. <laughs> I'm sure Jesse James or Louis the Greek could whip up a card with half the guys here that'd sell out any arena in the country. I mean, right here, it's the marble from the Middle East, Prince Abdullah. The room applauds as Abdullah in his suit with Kofia headscarf, like a genuine sheik raises his beer from his seat. One of Johnny's final acts was to finally make Abby a main eventer to kick off 1984 by booking him against the All-American Dan Sanders for Empire State's title at Madison Square Garden this month. Again, not surprising, as Abdullah was also one of the best I ever trained. Stop putting yourself over! Charlie peers out at who is shouting. Oh, which leads us to the biggest mouth in all of Texas, Bert Ironside, ladies and gentlemen. Bert, the king of the south, putting on some of the biggest shows in wrestling history with one of the biggest draws ever created, Bad Bad Leroy Brown. No, Charlie, you still can't have my number one horse. He's all mine. <laughs> Bert grasps the shoulder of Leroy Brown, seated beside him like a possession. Leroy, a handsome and strong African-American man, strains a smile through gritted teeth as all eyes are on him. Julian notices and takes note. Oh, legendary Dominic Dante, the Tarzan Kid, Tommy Loha. Oh, and there's Goliath. Makes sense. Johnny was the only promoter Goliath actually liked. <laughs> but look around. Because this is the legacy of Jonathan Kane. The guys he gave the first break to. The ones who built their name in New York. And everyone he made money for in professional wrestling. 1983 was big for all of us. And I know 1984 will be even bigger. Charlie turns to the portrait of Jonathan Kane and raises his glass of Chivas Regal as everyone in the room does the same. Thank you, Johnny, my longtime partner and our brother, for all that you've done for our sport. As Johnny used to say, salut, my friend. With everyone chatting, drinking, and smoking, Julian waits patiently, lost in his own thoughts, as tension builds within him as he's ready to explode, for this is the day. While Sarah and Cameron reflect on their last conversations with Jonathan Kane, Julian remembers his. We need to evolve into modern conventions. Modern mediums like cable television. More of this Harvard Business School mumbo jumbo. It's way more than that. I'm talking about transforming an entire industry into something colossal. And at what cost? You want to change wrestling into something 
ridiculous and fake. A cartoon. And worse than that, I want to destroy my friend's livelihoods in the process. <coughs> Julian looks at the machinery and his heartbeat. You can't stop this. You can't stop me. It's inevitable. I know. Jonathan pauses and tries to take a breath while Julian stands stoically. If I don't kick out of this, Julian, just promise you'll be merciful. I can't promise that. Promise me. Wait a few years. Wait for Charlie, George, my friends to retire. Please. Julian looks at his father, listening to the beat of his heartbeat. Julian! It's time you took your proper spot at the table. Julian turned as Les Henderson from Southeast Championship Wrestling puts a hand on his shoulder. With Les behind him, Julian heads for the power table, the table reserved for the owners of the seven major territories of the World Wrestling Alliance. Julian is eight years old all over again, his mother sending him to bring a new bottle and take her into classes. The elder friends of his father while they chortled and laughed amidst clouds of cigarette smoke and a stink of booze in the air. Decades later, nothing has changed. And the idea that it is now his turn to chortle and laugh disgusts him. Sit here, Julian. I want you to take your father's seat. Julian sits and looks around at the kings of the ring who collectively control the entire wrestling world. Charlie Gotch, Burt Ironside, George Gilmore, Nigel Davies and Les Henderson, plus two others. A pot-bellied older wrestler from Tennessee, Raylan Crenshaw, and Daniel Hawkins from Charlotte. Burt Ironside lays out a line of shot glasses and sloppily splashes the bourbon into all of them at once, booze spilling across all the sides. Burt, that's expensive piss you spilling. Fuck you, Gilmore. You can lick it off the table when we're done, you cheap Jew. Ah, Burt. Charming as ever. Burt drunkenly hands him out with his sausage fingers as everyone takes a glass. To Johnny, the king of New York. After they down their shots, Bert pours another round. No one notices that Julian didn't drink his. And to Julie, the new king of New York. To Julian. Julian. Julian always hated how Bert and some of the others called him Julie, specifically to demasculate him. Julian, as Johnny said, you understood the importance of the alliance in our beliefs. Daniel here is exactly like you. He took over the Carolinas from his late mother Maggie just a few years ago, and it successfully kept things afloat. Julian glances at Daniel Hawkins, who's around his age, but is timid and awkward, with metal-rimmed glasses and frizzy receding hair. Sitting beside these powerful older men, Daniel looks uncomfortable, unworthy. Julian sits himself up straighter to show that they're not the same. The Empire State doesn't have the largest footprint, he'll always make money. And you, your family, and your lovely mother will live comfortably the rest of your life. Julian fidgets with a toothpick on a table, flicking the end over and over as Charlie's voice drones on in his head. And Sandy's his champ. You be a stable thing go. Tension building. And a healer's gonna pass on to your father. Bill von Heim. Beads of sweat forming on his forehead. Pretty good You put him in the Charlie sips his scotch as he pleasantly looks to Julian, waiting for a thank you. Julian's heard enough as the toothpick snaps between his thumb and forefinger. I'm not going to do that. Well, keep me as a mid-card utility guy. I don't want your leftovers. What did you say? I don't want your advice from any of you. 
The others pause. Julian takes a deep breath, knowing this is the moment. Let's start at the top. Charlie Gotch. You have a guy stuck in a heel tag team who could be the biggest star in wrestling. The guy who should be your babyface champion. Right under your nose, and you can't even see it. Who? Thor Hansen. Big Thor Hansen is champ? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. He doesn't have any legitimate skill. He can't protect himself if a shooter, a real pistol, got a hold of him. No, I'd never put a shooter in with a champ anyway. Shut up, George. I'm making a point. Julian, you can't control everything that goes on in that ring. And if a challenger ever tried to take liberties with him, or worse yet, turn things into an actual shoot and tried to pin him for real, Thor would be helpless out there. Even at his age, Buddy Melrose is still one of the best shooters in the business. There hasn't been a double cross since, what, 15 years ago? Big boy Miller, never forget it. Hardly settled down in England or somewhere. And that's where he'll stay. Bert lights a cigar with a cold steel lighter in the shape of bullhorns and puffs away, surrounding himself in smoke. There's no room in the business for a guy like that. It's the code we live by. We're putting our bodies in each other's hands in that ring and to violate that trust by intentionally injuring another wrestler to change who's booked to win a match is the ultimate disgrace. I know you're young and still learning, but there are many reasons why Thor Hansen can never be a champ. You can never grasp the technical skills needed to be a top guy like a Danny Gold or a Dan Sanders. I should know, I trained him. Thor's best is the, the big dumb sidekick for Hollywood Buddy Melrose, and that's it. Times have changed, and none of you realize that. Today's fans don't want someone who looks like they can win a bar fight. They want someone who looks like they can throw a car through a bar window. Nigel Davies looks on, completely captivated by this debate, while George Gilmore has had enough of all this. Meanwhile, Daniel Hawkins is just praying no one even notices him. No one can do that. Though I do remember I saw Antonio Saberski try lifting a car once on a bet. He got about half Shut up, Anderson. You're all playing cowboys and Indians. And the people want Star Wars. We've been doing this longer than you've been alive, son. We know what the people want. Not anymore. You're all dinosaurs. Maybe a better analogy is you're ducks. Julian smirks as he sits back looking straight at Charlie Gotch, whose face is turning red with anger. Sitting ducks. You watch how you talk to us. I'm an Olympic wrestling medalist. I could take you and- Charlie, you failed to even qualify for the Olympics, let alone medal. You've been telling fans and reporters your bullshit gimmick for so long, you don't even remember what's real anymore. I can still take a punk like you. Can't destroy me. Gotch stands and grabs Julian by the collar and pulls him in, knocking his own chair down. Julian shows no fear, his arms down, eyes locked on Charlie's. The entire room stops. Charlie, not here! And everyone turns to them, completely silent, as Charlie notices everyone watching them. He switches gears and plays it off like it's a joke, and starts to laugh, looking around so everyone can see that. <laughs> here you go, Julian! Charlie lifts his hand up in the air and slaps Julian's chest. Henderson stands immediately, raising his glass. Welcome to the club, Julian Kane! Everyone in the room cheers and toasts Julian's initiation and resumes her chatter. Julian's chest is stinging, but he won't show it. Charlie straightens Julian's collar, battling the urge to strangle him while Julian stares into his eyes. I hope you enjoyed your day, old man, because it's over. Julian flicks Charlie's arms away, 
picks up his shot, slams it, and walks off in slow motion while Charlie rants. Charlie's voice fades as Julian glides by his wife. Goodbye, Sarah. I've got another plane to catch. But they're reading the will later. What's there to hear? It's all mine now. The Alliance is dead? Yes. They just don't know it yet. Wrestling is drawing more fans than ever to the arenas. But for who? Football has the NFL. Basketball has the NBA. But what does wrestling have? We have the Alliance. But the WWA isn't even a real league. It's a collection of territories. Spread out. Scattered across the country. It's a system. Completely impractical for the 80s in so many ways. A system that impedes all progress, all evolution. And I'm here to smash that system, to bring about change. Because the future is change, and that future is now. Imagine if that old system went away, and the only thing left was one single wrestling company to rule the entire country. My father's Empire State Wrestling Federation was the richest territory in the Alliance, and that dies with him. And in its wake, it is now reborn under me as the all-new Empire Wrestling Federation. Thank you for listening to the premiere episode of wrestling's first audio drama podcast, The Kings of the Ring. In episode two, the fallout begins from the bomb being dropped by Julian Kane, or the Angel Boys, Thor Hansen, Diamond Donnie Gold, and the outlaw Jesse James. Plus, we meet Miss Kitty, Pretty Boy Willie Dean, Bobby Rivers, and so much more. 